to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goal. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Amit Gaglani, and he has 20 years of healthcare practitioner and business experience scaling and selling his business to private equity twice. And during the process, he invested in syndications, aggregated 67 plus accredited investors, and now is the owner of AG Consulting Management. He is helping Accountable Equity as the head of growth as well. So Amit, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Very good. Thank you, Eileen. I'm very happy to be here and share my story with everybody. Well, let's start there, Amit. Can you share a little bit more about your background and how you got started in real estate? I was a W-2 earner in healthcare. I went to school for physical therapy. And honestly, the truth is all I wanted to do was just help patients at the time. I never thought about owning a business, never thought about anything else other than let me just be the best practitioner I could. And what happens with me, sometimes I get the bug of something and then I just can't let go of it. And what happened was I had a patient who handed me a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I had no concept of what it was. And then I read it and he said, you know, I gave this book to you because I thought you should own your own business. And that got me started on that. And so I opened my own physical therapy company and I scaled it over, you know, a certain amount of years. And I got the attention of some private equity companies. Now, at the time, I liked the idea of real estate, but I did not want to worry about collecting rent or honestly having toilet issues in the middle of the night or things like that. So I looked for passive ways of getting involved. And I started learning about syndications and basically how to invest your money and back the right horse as opposed to doing the work yourself and just earn passive income through those means, but still be able to focus on your W-2 at the time. Well, sorry, at that time, it wasn't W-2. I was a business owner, but I was full 100% involved in my business and I didn't have time to do my own real estate things or so I thought. So I started investing in different syndications, multifamilies and different things through that time period. And I would earn passive income. And I thought that this was genius. I don't have to do the work. I can just earn the money, put it into passive deals, and then start to earn more and more passive income. And then I had the thought process that I want to get to a point where my passive income exceeds my active income because then I'm truly living a life that I can just do whatever I want with whoever I want. And that kind of started off my journey in real estate and also learning. And I listened to a lot of different podcasts like yours, and I made lots of notes and tried to understand things that I didn't understand, like depreciation and like tax mitigation and risk mitigation and understanding how to source deals and do these things. So that kind of started me on the process of everything, but that was the bug that started it all all for me. So while you're owning your own business, running it, growing and scaling it, you started investing in real estate syndications. How did you start your education on syndications and where did you start looking and find your first investment? So the way I first started educating myself was being exposed to podcasts, honestly. I would try to listen to as many different podcasts that I would on real estate. And they would talk about things that I did not know. And I'm not joking. I would literally write them down and then Google them and try to understand it. The more I wrote down, the more I got educated, the more the same terms coming up, and the more I started piecing together like how different things were kind of formed. 
then I started involving myself in certain networks. You know, I belong to a network called GoBundance. And you're basically surrounded by people who are like-minded and who are interested in doing real estate deals and things like that. And it felt good to be part of a group of individuals that are looking at things just the way you are, as opposed to you talking to your friend or your neighbor or your family member who has no idea what you're even looking at or talking about or anything like that. So you need to start talking to people that understand where you're coming from and have the same kind of goals and mindset. So for me, that was go abundance. But for anyone else, they can just maybe even join their local real estate REI in their area to start you know, talking about it or join a Facebook group or something like that so they can start listening to the lingo and understanding what people are doing and trying to understand how deals are sourced and things like that. And don't get me wrong, I looked at Zillow and things like that. But when you start learning, you start realizing the stuff that's on Zillow is the stuff that nobody else wanted. So <laughs> yeah, so that was my process. Especially as a business owner, right? Yeah. What was important to you when you were looking for the different investment opportunities that made sense for what you're trying to do and grow your passive income? Yeah. So both it was preservation of capital, because when you're a business owner, you're taking risk as it is. Okay. There's no guarantees in business. You're out there in business, you're making money, but there's no guarantees of it. So the last thing you want to do is lose your capital, right? So preservation of capital was very important. So if you're making a hundred dollars, you don't want to lose a hundred. Now, yes, it's great to make $120, but the reality is you want to put it in something that you felt was stable. Real estate felt stable in the sense that there's still a value for that asset. It can never go down to nothing. You put it in a stock market, there's a possibility it could lose, right? And the stock market doesn't give you the flexibility of taking money out with tax things being mitigated with having flexibility. And I always call the stock market a roller coaster. When you put money in, it may go up, it may go down, but when you need to pull the money out, you don't know what it's going to be. If it's up, you don't feel good about taking it out because you feel like it could still go up more. When it's down, you don't feel good about taking money out because you feel like you're going to lose. So you never feel good about taking money out of the stock market. And when you're ready to take the money out, you don't know where it's going to be. So it feels like just a lack of control. Whereas in real estate, you have a general prediction of, okay, well, this is what the pro forma is. And remember, you have to do your due diligence on the syndicator and understand who they are, how they are, and what their track history is in performance and what they've done. Have they been able to turn around projects? Have they been able to do this stuff? So being a business owner myself and looking at other people's pro formas and starting to understand what they're doing, that was something I felt comfortable with and I liked doing. I felt like I had more control than just saying, yeah, I'm going to buy Amazon stock. Do I get the chance to ever talk to Jeff Bezos? No, you don't get to talk to them. But with these syndicators, you're talking to them. You're having conversations. You see what they're about. That started that process. And then because I'm in the healthcare industry, I had a lot of friends that were physicians. And they don't have the time to do the due diligence, but they knew me and they trusted me. So if I went in on a deal, they said, well, we want to join. Before I knew it, I had about 67 of them. And these are all accredited investors that would join me. So then what I started to do is I started to negotiate with the syndicators and say, I'm bringing X amount of money, a million dollars into this. So they increased our pref, they improved our terms, they improved our position on the waterfall. And for all those people that are listening, your position on the waterfall is really delineates your risk. You know, the higher you are on the waterfall, the less risk you have. The lower you are on the waterfall, the more risk you have. So I wanted to mitigate my risk. So I wanted a higher position on the waterfall. I wanted to make sure that there were tax efficiencies that were built into the investment. And I wanted to make sure I can get the highest pref possible. So that's what I was able to do. I was able to negotiate with a lot of syndicators this way. So basically, if I'm still bringing 50 grand, I'm still getting the terms of somebody bringing a million. So you went in, was this more of like a fund of funds model that you did? Or you just 
brought in the pool of investors and you said, if I brought in 67 people or potentially 67 investors, this is how much we are going to invest as a group. Can you give us better terms and conditions? That's exactly what I did. I did not put together an LLC, did not create my own fund of funds. I honestly thought of the idea, but then I just it just started getting too out of control. And I felt uncomfortable about charging my friends money for something that I was doing, even though I was doing all the work. I just said, you know what, I'm going to go along for the ride because I wouldn't get these great terms if these people weren't jumping in. So I'm investing my own money as well. So all I did was just negotiate on our behalf. We put it in. We didn't put it together into an LLC. We individually what do you call it? We individually invested, but we were looked at as a group. So there was no commingling of funds or anything like that. Everybody just got the best terms possible, which is best because everybody, it's clean. Got it. No, that's fantastic. You're able to have that conversation with the sponsors and getting the better terms and conditions for your network to yeah. come in, especially and to see what does this investment look like and participate alongside with you because you've already done your due diligence. And like you said, they didn't have the time to do their due diligence, but they trusted you and what you were doing in it. That is exactly what we did. So I did it a couple different times with a couple different syndicators. And I've invested in multifamily. I've invested in self-storage. I've invested in ATMs. I've invested in oil. I've invested in gas. I've invested in many different things. So different people knew that I'm aware and I understand how different terms are structured and the structuring of different deals and things like that. So the more I did, the more vetting I had to do and the more understanding I had to do. So it just made me more knowledgeable. So in terms of like the passive investing side, you're able to generate and accumulate, you know, the cash flow and the potential upside at sale as well through the appreciation and value add process of it. As a business owner, how are the taxes also beneficial to you as well? And how have you been able to kind of utilize it? I, obviously, we're not tax yeah. experts and consult your CPAs, yeah. but, you know, as a business owner, how are you able to use that to your advantage as well from the passive investing well, I did not have the ability to consider myself a real estate professional. Had I been able to do that, which the funny thing is some of my physicians I was consulting with, I told them how to do it and they did it and they were able to take significant advantage of it. And for anybody that's not familiar with the term, they should look it up because if they are a high W-2 earner and their spouse is, let's say, not working and you guys buy real estate, look into the IRS definition of real estate professional because you will be able to mitigate the taxes that you are paying on your W-2 income. That I wasn't able to do. But what I would do is I was, each deal was a little bit different. Some of the multifamily deals just gave us a return of principal. And then you'd get long-term capital gains when you actually got paid. Some of them were giving us a lot of depreciation up front because let's say if I invested something in September, October, and it was a big construction amount, and then a lot of times in those early months when something's getting started, not a lot of people are investing right away. They'll wait until time goes by. But if it's done before the end of the year, you're getting a bulk of anything of any of those deductions. And then people who come in January, they'll get whatever happens the following year. So in some of these cases, I got a lot of depreciation handed off to me. And that depreciation helps me to lower any other passive income. It doesn't help on the W-2 side, but it helps on any other passive gains that I have. You know, from let's say, like I said, I invest in the ATM. The ATM is spitting off a lot of passive income, but that helps me to reduce those things. So I'm always looking for, and here's something that I feel is a golden nugget for your people listening. People are always looking for the highest pref possible. What can I put it in? But they don't always look at how do I mitigate the taxes? If you can significantly lower your taxes to almost nothing, you just gained an investment that gives you now more than 30% added in. 
because you just reduced all the taxes out of it. You know, we're always concerned about how much PREF can I get or how what's the highest terms I can get. But if you can eliminate all your taxes on that deal, you just made a whole bunch more money. And if you add that into the whole thing, you've made a lot more money. So don't always be short-sighted and look for the highest terms possible. Look at the fact that is there tax mitigation and how much tax mitigation are you getting out of it? We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Yeah, holistically and not just for one return value. That's right. So after you started investing in all these different asset classes, building up your passive income, did you maintain your businesses for how long did you maintain your business for before you decided to sell them off? And then what did you do after that? Yeah. So as I was in physical therapy, I was a, uh, I still am a physical therapist and a board certified clinical specialist in orthopedics. And I had a company in New Jersey that I had four offices. And what I started noticing around 2016, 2017, the, the landscape was kind of changing in healthcare. And it looked like a lot of hospital structures were gobbling up primary care doctors. And it just seemed like it was getting harder and harder and harder. And it was hard to compete against large companies. And I didn't have the ability to negotiate rates because you were too small. So I asked myself, what do I want to do? And I wanted to 10X my company. And the best way to 10X my company at that time was I had two options. Either I join a strategic, which means an existing physical therapy company, or I join a private equity, which would use me as a platform company to build more on. The big difference was that if I join a strategic, they just want me seeing patients all day. All the knowledge and everything that I'd gained from being a CEO, which it took me five years to get training to be that, would have gone to nothing because all they wanted me to do is just be a practitioner and just treat patients all day. And honestly, that's not what I wanted to do because I felt like I had too much to give to be just treating patients. I could always hire clinicians to treat patients, but couldn't replace the CEO value. So I chose to partner with a newly formed, actually, they weren't newly formed. They were newly getting into healthcare and they wanted to get into physical therapy just because the future in physical therapy was bright. So they were a private equity company that didn't have another physical therapy company and they wanted to get started. So I was one of the founding people in there. And then after us, or after my practice, we started acquiring practices across the country and we became nationwide and we had over 100 offices across the country. That started from 2017 when I sold a portion of my company there, and then I started going to work with them to build it up. And then in three years later, we were over 100 offices, and another private equity came along and said, wow, we want your company. And then they bought us out. Now, the thing to understand for those people who own businesses, you have an EBITDA, right? EBITDA means basically your net profit. Well, your net profit when you have four offices is a certain amount, but your net profit, your EBITDA number when you have over 100 offices now has gone to a significant amount. So your company worth goes up significantly. 
So that's when you want to be able to sell when you have reached certain milestones. And that's what basically happened. So earlier this year, I sold out all my shares because another private equity came and bought everything out. And so what is your focus now, Mitt? Yeah. So I got the attention of some private equity companies and because of what I did and because I'm invested in so many different things and because I was able to bring other investors and I understood the products and things like that. One of my early investments, which you could see behind me, was Renault Winery, which is owned by Accountable Equity. So we're a boutique private equity. And they asked me multiple times when I sold my company, hey, why don't you join us? And we'd love to have you on our leadership team. You have a proven track record. We know you keep bringing more investors to us because you like our product. Why don't you join us? And I said, I don't really know what I want to do yet because I just sold. I just got out of one thing. I want to take some time. They approached me a couple different times. And I just like them in general from how they do what they do. And yeah, earlier this year, in July of this year, I joined them as their head of growth. So I handle a lot of their investment types of stuff and investments as well as investors. And they allowed me to put together my own fund. So what you see there, the CDF was a collateralized debt fund, which they allowed me to put together my own fund. And what they said to me was, listen, I'm going to create your own fund. You invest in so many different deals, put together an ideal fund that you would want as an investor. Let's figure it out and let's reverse engineer the math. So I said, okay, well, I want liquidity, which is not something you get in almost any syndication where you have liquidity. You're basically locked. And I said, no, I'd like to have liquidity. I'd like to get monthly distributions. I'd like to have a high pref and I'd like to be on a high position on the waterfall. So we put something together that actually hits all those things and it helps out our resort properties. So we focus on weddings. And the interesting thing about this is, and I never knew this until I was really, really got involved in this. So we have three different venues right now. We're always looking to buy more. But Renault has a winery, has a golf course, has multiple restaurants, has a hotel. So we do a lot of different events on the property. And that's just one of our properties, but it's one of our signature properties. And we do six to 12 weddings, so six to 13 weddings every weekend. And we're sold out for the next two years. We do more weddings than anybody probably on the East Coast. And the beautiful thing about weddings is you have contracted revenue. So we already know how much money we're going to make next year. We have a contract. We have 25% of the deposit money already in our hands. They can't break the contract. Even during COVID, they couldn't break the contracts. So it gives us predictability in our business, which is a huge advantage. It's not like you're going to Aruba and you're staying at the Ritz-Carlton. The Ritz-Carlton people come to not because they want to see the Ritz-Carlton, it's because they want to go to Aruba and the beaches. So what drives them there are the beaches, not the actual hotel. Whereas in our case, people are driven to us because of the events that happen on our property. So we are causing them to actually come to us. We have the ability to attract. Got it. So that's what I'm up to now. That is a fun space to be in. (laughs) It's nice. It's actually very rewarding, you know, because when you listen to the stock market, you listen to investments, people say, don't be an emotional investor. But I can tell you, 99% of the people, when they come on the property, they're like, how do I invest in this? Because when you're there... And you see the amount of people that are gathering and the outdoor concerts that we have and the fire pits and like the ice skating that we have. We have a French market that's out there. It's really fun and festive. And you can see, and like I said, we have our own winery there. We're the only one in the United States, it's an interesting story, that can actually manufacture champagne and call it champagne. We're the only winery in the whole United States because Louis Renault came over in 1855 and he's grandfathered in to that name, to champagne. No one else can make champagne in the United States. They have to call it sparkling wine or something else. We're the only one in the whole United States. (laughs) 
That is a new fact. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so it's pretty interesting. We're not too far out of Atlantic City, and if anybody's seen the show Boardwalk Empire, they'll see areas or part of the show. They'll talk about this guy named Nookie Thompson and Al Capone. And well, there's an area in Renault in the basement where Nookie Thompson and Al Capone used to meet all the time. And during Prohibition, they used to sneak alcohol from here all the way over to Atlantic City back in the day. So it has a huge history, incredible history. So I'd like to ask also, as an investor, prior to starting your fund, right, you had brought in investors in where each person would just invest in each deal individually. So now going into a fund, what is the difference for the investors? And then what's the benefits of investing in a fund versus investing in individualized deals? So when we talk about fund, like our funds at, let's say here at Accountable Equity, the fund is an individual property. It's not the fund of multiple different properties. I personally have invested in funds that have multiple properties and I've invested in funds that have that. What is the key difference? I mean, it depends on how you look at it. I think if it's one property, it's easy to keep track of. If it's multiple properties, it's not easy to keep track of, but then you feel a little bit diversified. So it's like one or the other. So what do I do? I'll invest in both because that way I feel like as long as I vet the syndicator properly and I feel comfortable with what they're doing and everything, I'm usually okay. Got it. So your fund is a one-to-one. Yeah. So our fund, like the collateralized debt fund is just literally, it's a debt fund. It's a lending fund. That's the only product in that fund. Renault is what we call CH1. That's the only property that's in it. So our individual funds are just individual properties. We didn't create a fund that has multiple resorts in one fund. Got it. Typically, what does the structure look like for the investors? It's a GPLP structure. They put in anywhere from, it depends on the ones that we had, either 25 or 50K minimum. These are equity class investments. So the equity class investments that we have is they put in, let's say, 20 or 50,000. They're going to get a preferred rate of interest. So for every year, they're going to get, and each one is different, so I couldn't tell you the exact number. They're going to get that on an annual basis. And there is depreciation that's handed off to them, but each circumstance is different depending on how much construction or renovation we have to do. And then when when we refi, that's when they get their money back. So the idea is you're trying to build up the NOI, the net operating income for those years, right? When you get to a sufficient level and the banks see that the valuation of the company is higher and we feel like we can pull out enough money, we're going to be handing back all the principal amount that somebody invested. So if they've invested 50 grand, we're handing that literally back to them. But here's the key thing that we do a little bit different than anyone else. At that point, they have no skin in the game because they've given back their principal. They've been getting their preferred payments paid every single year, and we still keep them as an equity owner in perpetuity. So now they have no skin in the game, and they stay owner in perpetuity, and they're going to get distributions based on their ownership percentage. Got it. And what's the typical hold time for one of these funds? So when you say hold time, we don't have a sell model. Because we're owners and operators. We operate these things. We have a hospitality wing of our company. So that's the other added advantage. We are not giving a third party rights to manage our property. We are closely monitoring and watching our properties ourselves. And we know how to do it. And our owner, Josh McCallan, has gone and worked in hotels in Europe and worked in hotels here and has won some great accolades. So he knows how to work the hospitality wing of it. As far as the investor, how long is the hold period? You know, it depends on when we're going to refi. And we just put a pro forma together and each one is going to be a little bit different depending on the circumstances. Got it. Wow. That's fantastic. And I love the industry that you're in too. There's so much. This is the first time that I've had somebody on in this industry. So that's pretty cool. So thank you for sharing all of that. 
Yeah. And the other big key difference, which you don't realize until you're actually really nitty gritty into it. We have so many different levers in our business that generate income. We have wine tastings. We have golf. We have outdoor events. These are all what I call levers. And we have control over them. If we want more, we're going to get more revenue. So we put more events together. We put a fire pit together and we charge $250 a night for that. These are all added revenue sources. We have multiple restaurants. It's not coming from one area, right? I'm invested in multifamily. Majority of their income is coming from the rents, right? And the rents are locked up for one year, generally speaking. Ours is going to be fluctuating day to day. We can increase our rates depending on their demand. If you have high demand on your properties like we do, we're sold out guess what? We can increase how much the daily rate for the hotel is. And that actually drives all the other business models that we have on the property. So the point is we generate a lot of cash because we have the ability to generate a lot of cash. So our investors are very happy with the diversification of income. And Amit, how has real estate investing impacted your life? So the more I learned about real estate, the more I realized what there's a reason why the wealthy have always invested in real estate. You know, there's always intrinsic value in real estate. It doesn't go down to nothing. And you can hand it off to your family. You can hand it off to people and you can touch it. You could see it. You could feel it. So how it's impacted me is it just gives me an opportunity to try to meet my goals and to try to reach my dreams through investing in real estate. And if there's one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? Understanding how strong and beneficial depreciation is. It's not something I understood. I had to look it up many, many times to really get my head wrapped around how depreciation decreases the profit margin on paper, but not the real money that's coming in. And to truly understand that is to understand that you're getting money, but you're not paying taxes. And how is that legal? Yeah, it's legal because it's made legal by the IRS and the IRS actually wants you to do it. And what is the one thing that successful people part in real estate investing? I think mitigating the risks, not every deal is a good deal and understanding more and asking questions and trying to use different performers to get different modeling to understand how do you make the deal work and to mitigate your risk as much as possible. I think that is something that's important. Amit, where can our listeners find out more about you and what you're doing in the space? Yeah, so they can um, get in touch with me at my email is, hopefully you have these in the show notes as well, yes. but a Gaglani, so it's a G A G. L-A-N-I at accountableequity.com. They can look up the company, Accountable Equity. If they're interested in anything that we're doing, they can just reach out and I'll be more than happy to be able to help them. But yeah, that's how they can get in touch with me. Awesome, Amit. Well, thank you so much for all of your time today and sharing everything that you did. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was fun. Thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, Check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sale and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. 
Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.